0: We're going tonight to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter number 8, and uh, we're going to be teaching from our Focus 52 chapter. Again, to all that are here, we are so delighted to have you in this place and thankful that you would take time on this uh, beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord with us. Anybody kick the heat on in your house yet? Oh, yes. You've already lit the fire. So now we've come to grips with the fact this is Indiana, and uh, it's about to start getting cold, and uh, the Lord didn't call us to a beach ministry in the Virgin Islands, He called us to Indiana, and this is this is where we're at, amen. Nevertheless, it feels good in this house tonight, amen. and I'm glad to be in this place, amen. So the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews is very interesting, and we're going to take uh, a look at a couple of things here that uh, you can... Stand, remain seated, whatever you'd like, uh, because I'm not going to just read. What we'll do this evening is we will just, uh, we'll just take our text directly from, uh, from our focus verse, and then I'll let you be seated because there's a lot to talk about here in this chapter. So let's go to verse number 10 of chapter 8, the book of Hebrews. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, just peek up to the screen and act like you were. Praise God. Chapter 8 and verse 10 of the book of Hebrews. Let's read this together. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. The context of. This chapter is so important to us because it is not a new concept. Now, uh, I had someone in my office tonight uh, before church and I said to them, I said, you know, Hebrews 8 is probably one of the most famous chapters in the world for abuse of uh, the new covenant. People talk about how that... Uh, basically a replacement idea that God abolished the law, got rid of the law, and gave us this new covenant, and so nothing else matters. And that's exactly why today, uh, modern-day theologians pride themselves in being able to disconnect from the Old Testament and uh, that the New Testament is all that matters. But if you understand the power of this book It is not just a New Testament book or an Old Testament book. It's 66 books of God-breathed, God-living Word. And you've got to fall in love with the idea because if you don't, you miss kind of how God establishes the power of redemption. And it's very simply this, that the same God of Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, How many of you would agree there's only one beginning? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning. How many beginnings are there? There's only one beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Come on, shout it out. And the Word was God. And verse 14 tells us that the Word became... What became flesh? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, you cannot disconnect yourself from the power of the Old Testament or it does not make sense to you that God did not leave us hopeless and helpless. When the law in and of itself became somewhat... Uh, anemic and weak to be able to cause the sin of man to be remitted. He said, I am going to bring a new covenant to you that does not just give you temporary relief, but I'm going to join with that and help you to know that it is not going to be the blood of a lamb or a bullock or uh, a goat any longer that's going to make the difference in your life, but it will be the blood of of one spotless lamb. I'm glad to tell you tonight that it was by one man that sin entered into humanity and it was by one man that that sin was conquered at the cross. And the good news is whether people want to believe it or not there is still enough blood that flows from Calvary's mountain tonight to cover your sin. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter how they judge you. I have good news for you tonight. There is a new covenant. And that blood of Calvary can wash you and cleanse you from your sin. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. Praise God. And with that, you could leave that just Right there and get somebody excited If Calvary doesn't get you excited I really don't know what will But the good news is that This covenant is not just based On the power of a cross Now there's a lot of religions that would like To leave him hanging there on the cross When they pray for healing They do it with a crucified Savior Hanging on a cross But I'm so thankful for the rest of the story That once they crucified him and laid him in a borrowed tomb. How many people get buried in a borrowed tomb? I mean, think about it now. How many people get buried in a borrowed place because they know they're not going to need it for too long? But thank God Almighty that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to quicken your mortal body. I'm glad to tell you that he didn't just lay in the grave forever, but he got up on that third day with resurrection power in his hands. Amen. He got up from the grave and he had power over death and hell. So if you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 31, you're going to see some very common language with Hebrews, the eighth chapter, in which you and I read tonight. If you've been reading through this chapter whatsoever, you'll see exactly what I'm saying. We don't know for sure who the writer of the book of Hebrews really is. I have my personal feelings about it. There's a lot of debate uh, among different theologians. It really has, uh, in my opinion... Hebrews has so much a Pauline flavor. It very much feels like Paul could have written the book of Hebrews. But uh, also, in most of Paul's writings, uh, he will mention at some point that I, Paul, or uh, whatever, he will mention, you'll know that it was him that was writing and that did not happen in here. Some actually say it could have been a disciple of, of Paul that wrote with his style. Some even believe Priscilla. Was the one that wrote the book of Hebrews. But this is what we know. We don't know exactly who wrote it. But we know who he wrote it to. All right. And it's in the title of the book. He wrote it to the Hebrews. These were people that had been Hebrews all of their life. They had come up under an understanding of, of the great God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. They understood the power of his name. They understood uh, his provision. They were told every year. In celebration of of the Passover, of how uh, he brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness. And uh, it made sense to them. Things started finally clicking with them as uh, we come from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Again, you can't unhitch from either one of them and it makes sense. But uh, these are people that understood the teaching of Moses and how that Moses... Brought them out of Egypt, and he brought them into the wilderness. And in order to get there, they had to pass through the Red Sea. And on the other side of the Red Sea, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So what we've got is coming out of Egypt. We've got a sign of repentance. Coming through the Red Sea, we've got a sign and a shadow of baptism. Getting under the cloud in the wilderness, we've got a sign, a shadow of of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The plan of salvation is from cover to cover. It's everywhere that you look. He had a plan in mind. But he had to establish some things in the hearts of his people. Now Jeremiah 31 and verse number 31. The prophet speaks and says, Behold, the days come. Somebody say future. future. saith the Lord. So now we know who's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. That I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The day is coming that I'm going to make a new covenant. You read it tonight for yourself. Now let's pick up on some of this language right here and let us see if this makes any sense to anybody whatsoever, okay? So let's go over to uh, back to Hebrews chapter number eight. If you'd like to take a note of 31 and 31 of Jeremiah, that'd be all right. You can go through and kind of compare. But my point is simply that the writer in the book of Hebrews is not coming up with some kind of a new doctrine. All right. He is saying, or she is saying, that the word of the Lord, as was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, has been fulfilled. In the word of the Lord. How many of you believe it's true? How many of you sincerely believe in your heart tonight that if God said it, that's enough? If God said it, he's going to accomplish what he said he was going to do. How many of you have had, even this week, the enemy try to tell you that what God said he was going to do, he's not going to do? Come on. Let's just be honest right now. I need a little faith to be built in this room right now. I feel like during this season right now with so much confusion and doubt and All kinds of smoke screens going on. There's some people that are hanging on to every promise that you have. You have tied a knot in the end of your rope and you're hanging on. You said, Lord, you said that you would. But right now, it doesn't really feel like he is because there's chaos and confusion. Well, let me tell you the power of Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah 31. It's the same thing that's in this room tonight. If God said it, God's going to do it. If God promised it, you can take it to the bank. Do you know why the devil tells you God's not going to do it? Because he can't stop God from doing it. But if he gets you to stop believing that God can, you'll never see it accomplished. This has never been about Satan's ability to stop God. It's always been about his ability to make us stop believing. So tonight before we go any further I'm serving notice on the enemy you're not going to blind my faith. You're not going to bind my faith. You're not going to stop me from believing. The Lord said it and I believe it and that's enough for me. Somebody we shout hallelujah. hallelujah my God I wish somebody would have came tonight to have church on Wednesday night so we begin in Hebrews 8 and it says now of the things which we have spoken this is the sum we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens somebody say his rightful place He is seated in a place of authority, a place of power, at the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth... He should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Is everybody following along? He said there are already priests that offer according to the law. They serve unto the example and the shadow of heavenly things. Man, I wish I had time to talk to you about that. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make a tabernacle. This is the covenant that God establishes with Moses. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. What's he saying? He said the mediator of the first covenant was Moses. The mediator of the new covenant is Jesus Christ. Moses said we're going to have to do this with the blood of rams and goats and bullocks and lambs. But the mediator of the new covenant said I'll take it on myself. I'll be sure that everybody understands that you destroyed this temple and in three days I'm going to raise it up again, but I'm not just dying so that everybody can say, "Ooh, that's a great religion. I think I'll follow that one. Can you imagine if we had to put up with what other people have to put up with, knowing that the the, the thing that they call God in their life has never healed anybody? (laughs) I've told the story so many times, and I won't bore you with it tonight. Brother Jordan alluded to it Sunday morning in class about Abram destroying all of the the idols in his father's idol shop. And and when his father came back and all the idols were destroyed, he said, oh, Abram, what have you done? He said, I didn't do it. The idols did it. And Tira looked at him. He said, now, Abram, you know better than that. He said, these idols can't do anything. He said, then why are you selling them? Somebody needs to declare in this world that the the so-called gods of this world... They don't have the power to do what people say they do. Now, listen, gods may, gods may appear a little bit different than what you think. Then, that Tira was selling those to set up on a shelf and maybe set on the floor and have a pedestal to set somewhere. But do you understand when I tell you tonight that there are things that people look to as gods in their life that perhaps it's in a syringe, perhaps it's in a bottle, perhaps uh, it's in a pill bottle, whatever it may be. That's what they believe is going to get them out of their problem. It may be in something that they smoke, something that they drink, but they find out when the high is over and the drunk is gone, the problems are still there and the issues are still there. That's their God. That's what they believe in. But if they could ever get a taste of what real freedom truly feels like, under the old covenant, that sin would be pushed ahead for a year. But in the new covenant, he said, I am going to wash away your sins. I'm going to remit your sin. I'm going to do something better than push it ahead. I'm going to forget it, and I'm going to forgive it. Thank God for Moses. What a mediator he was. Stood between heaven and earth. What a blessing he was. Stood on Mount Sinai. What a blessing he was. You know, we we don't really realize, I don't think, how much Moses gave up. But I also don't think we realize what Messiah gave up. Well, Pastor, you know, the thing about it is he was God and man. So when he came, you know, he knew everything that was going on. And it just, it didn't affect him like it would have affected me. That's why he didn't come as a God. He came as man. There are false damnable doctrines of heresy that say his flesh was divine flesh. In other words, that he didn't feel any of the the beating that he took, the lashing that he took. Why in the world would would we try to prop God up in some way and take away the value of what he did? You hear this preacher what I believe tonight. I believe every stripe they put on his back, he felt it just like I would have. I believe every time they spit in his face it had the same effect on him that it would me. He felt it. Every time they cursed him, he heard every word that they said. Every time they beat him and shoved that crown of thorns on his head, he felt every bit of it. Why is it important to know that he felt it? Because he paid the ultimate price. He could have came to us seated on a throne of majesty and dominion in the earth and reconciled Israel. Came to us in pomp and circumstance but he came to us as a humble child in a manger in a Bethlehem hillside I'm declaring to you tonight that he gave up all the splendor of heaven he looked through heaven and couldn't find anybody that was willing to pay the price he had tried to do it through the priesthood he had tried to do it through lambs and it wouldn't work so he became the high priest and he became the lamb of God he robed himself in flesh and he paid the ultimate price thank God for Moses but thank God for for the Messiah Woo. now it is established upon better promises well that's kind of rude why would they say that because the promises of the first covenant began with the Lord at Sinai saying if you will but the new covenant being established he did not say if you will he said I will The first covenant was established under this guise and understanding that if you will be perfect and line yourself up with this law, then salvation will come to you. The new covenant said there's no way you can be perfect. And we've tried it now for thousands of years, and it has not worked for uh, for uh, 2,000 years at that point thereabout. The law had been established, and it did not work because man continued to fail. And the new covenant, the new mediator said it like this. He said, I want you to know that you're not just going to be free temporarily, but he that the Son has set free, he is... Come on, somebody shout it at me. He is free indeed. The Lord said that if you will keep my law, if you will keep my covenant, then you'll be my people. But the new covenant, there's something so different about this. And I I, I hope I've got time to drive this to you tonight. I don't want to keep you forever long. He said, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now this is where a lot of people run off with this and they they botch this up. Because they believe that God had a plan that had fault in it. And I like to tell people... If I could draw an analogy for you to help you understand some things. Because they talk about the church and how imperfect the church is. And they talk about marriage and how imperfect marriage is. You know, so-and-so ran off and did this and that. And I said, look, look, we got to back up to the original plan of God. Let me help you understand something. The plan of God is perfect. When he said that had the first covenant been faultless... The problem was never with the covenant. And the problem was never with the covenant maker, the covenant giver. The problem was always with the covenant keepers. If we had about six weeks, we could do a series on just that. You look through the Old Testament from the Exodus on. and The Lord said, you'll be my people, I'll be your God. By Jeremiah... He's ready to divorce him. Now, he never does because in the same chapter, people say, oh, you know, God, God divorced, God divorced Israel. He didn't divorce Israel. In the same chapter, he called him his wife. You can't divorce her and still be your wife. But his plan for her was return to me. I love that language because it was not him that ran off. He said, it was my people that ran off. And I'm asking you, come back to me. So where was the fault in the covenant? It was in people who got hard-hearted. And he deals with this with Moses in the New Testament. The Pharisees teed it up for him and said, we're going to get him on this right here. He said, Moses said, you can give uh, your wife a bill of divorcement, but what do you say? He said, you know why Moses said that? He said it because of the hardness of your heart. What for the hardness of our heart, for the hardness of your heart, he said that. But here comes that word again that we've got to deal with and reconcile in Scripture, he said. But it was not so from the, from the beginning. The beginning is where it's established. The beginning is where the power of the word comes from. It's in the beginning. The plan of God from the beginning was perfect. The plan of marriage from the beginning was perfect. The plan of the church was perfect. People look at me like I'm a fool when I tell them the church is perfect. They're like, uh-huh, oh, I visited your church. I'm telling you all tonight, listen to me. The church is perfect. It's so perfect as a matter of fact that the very first time this word ecclesia is mentioned is when Jesus predestines this powerful vehicle that he's going to use. And he said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a perfect church. It's a church that It is predestined by prophetic order. It doesn't matter what the devil tries. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he says. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So the church is perfect. Do you know what the biggest problem is with the church? Us. Us. Have you ever seen the Lord come down and convene a church business meeting? Matter of fact, I'd jump out there and say I don't think I've ever been in one that He's in. It's hilarious. Preachers are perfect. I'm telling you the truth. See, now y'all raising eyebrows because I'm talking about preachers. You, you liked it when I was talking about the church. <laughs> preachers are perfect. Because that's a tool that God used to preach the word. So if preachers are perfect, how do we get false doctrine? Because preachers are also human just like the church. And they get to teaching and preaching on stuff that touches too close to home and may cost them a tithe payer or ten. Well, rather than teaching on that and being strong on that doctrine, we'll just vacillate on that. We'll just move over to the side and let, let chips fall where they may, and that's all right. As long as we fill up seats, that's all we need. Do You ever just sit back and scratch your head and look at the, the modern church age and think, how do we get this far? Like, how did we turn the grace of God into this? I mean no disrespect and don't want to hurt anybody's feelings tonight. But as you know, a few weeks ago, my family and I were in Massachusetts for a funeral. When we turned right out of uh, my wife's grandparents' house and go into the, the little village town there, Agawam. There was a church house set right there on the corner. Beautiful old church, very historic church. And uh, really, about the only thing that would identify it as a church would be just the structure of it, knowing that it was a church. There wasn't really any symbol or anything like that. But what you could see from a half mile away coming into town was the great big multicolored rainbow flag hanging off the church. And I thought, man, how did we get this far? Do you know what the answer to that is? It was not so. See, y'all are preaching so good. It wasn't so from the beginning. And so whenever you start to stray from things as they were in the beginning. Yeah, but Pastor, that's old fashioned. Well, it is the beginning. I love, I love to hear, and please don't, don't. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe, I I understand the validity of the statement. But you hear preachers get up and preach about traditions in the church and things like that. And they say, remove not the ancient landmarks. Talking about something that began in about 33 A.D. Something that was written 600 to 800 years before the church ever began. I want to tell you the ancient landmarks are not talking about the day of Pentecost. Anything that is considered ancient had to be before the ancient of days put on flesh and dwelt among us. The ancient landmarks are not Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 helped us to reconcile ancient landmarks. The ancient landmarks were the things that God established in the... Man, y'all are preaching so good. The ancient landmarks were the things that God established. And what's so amazing about the way God established them is you would be hard-pressed to find anybody that really understands their religious history that would deal with pre-Exodus or uh, pre-Passover church uh, religious history that would deny the fact that the law that was given at Sinai that that was the first time they had ever heard the laws of God. In other words, they believed that the law predated Sinai. Because it was something that God had put in His people. In other words, as we read through the laws of God and we understand that number one, the very number one thing that was put uh, on those tablets of stone is, does anybody know what the very first of the Ten Commandments Thou shalt have no other. Why is it that these people were monotheistic in their faith before there was ever a law? They believed in one God in Egypt. They believed that He was their salvation in Egypt. How did that happen? Because the lawgiver had communed with Abram. And Abraham knew him. And here comes the vast difference in ancient landmarks, people in the beginning, and people in modern religion. In modern churches, we preach about him and we know about him. But Abraham knew him. Am I helping anybody? Writers today, they write about him. Abraham knew him. I want to tell you kind folks tonight... That when Moses was talking about Jehovah God, he wasn't talking about somebody or something that was taught to him in Egypt. He was talking about the I Am that spoke to him out of that burning bush in the middle of the wilderness. But that's not the first time that Moshe knew who he was. He knew who he was, I believe, when his mother put him in a basket in the Nile River. Because the scripture said that he being a Hebrew child in, in faith's Hall of Fame, it said that he, being uh, in Pharaoh's house, he chose rather to be a daughter to his a son to his mother than he did to be a son to Pharaoh's daughter. What's the point? There was something in him before the law that said, "I want to know him more than I care just about what he said to do. I want to know him." Refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And how did he do it? By faith. Faith in what? I mean, he had no law. Faith in what? Back up a little earlier than that and you've got Joseph. Who is a a beautiful shadow and type of redemption, you know coming into Egypt god setting him up in the uh, Potiphar in the pit in Potiphar's house the prison the palace what a beautiful beautiful story but has anybody in here ever thought about where it was that Joseph read in the law thou shalt not commit adultery why didn't he just sleep with pharaoh's uh, with Potiphar's wife Because it was not just about the mitzvah, the law. He knew him. And this is exactly what the Lord is trying to establish. I understand the language. I understand the language. The new covenant. I get that. It is. It's a new covenant. But what is he trying to do? He is trying to reestablish in the hearts of men what was happening in the beginning. The Lord did not give Adam and Eve a written out block of, uh, of stone that said, you can eat this and you can do this and you can do that. No, no, no. He said one parameter. He said, leave the tree alone. Leave that one tree alone. And the rest of this, I'm counting on you communing with me for your conviction. Man, I hope I'm not moving too fast. Am I making sense? I'm, I'm in hyperspeed tonight trying to get where I'm going. The beginning was communion with God. But what separated men from communion with God? Does everybody believe the garden was perfect? I mean, could it be any more perfect? Do you guys believe that Adam was perfect? I do. I mean, he looked something kind of like, well, not like this at all. Adam didn't have a dad bod. I was offended the other day, Brother Gray, when my daughters said to me, you have a dad bod. It's going to be a miracle if they're not lost over that. I believe Adam was perfect. I believe he was healthy. I believe he was whole. I don't believe there was any infirmity in him. I don't believe he had... Lacking of any mental capabilities. I I, I don't believe that he was born with a hangnail. I I don't believe that he had a fungus in his toenails. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But I believe it was perfect. Can you tell me where imperfection came? It came from sin, but it was not so. You see how the Lord identifies this stuff? It was not so. In my perfect plan. So then how do we read then. That there were flaws. Fundamentally there, there were flaws in the old covenant. Where did the flaws come from? It came from men. It came from pride. It came from arrogance. It came from shame. Shame. Keeping men from being in the presence of God. Oh I don't know. I don't believe shame. I don't believe in You know that shame. Shame is the first indicator of sin. In the beginning. Have you all ever thought about that? And we don't think that shame is a trick of the enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned. What's the first thing they did? They hid themselves. Isolation. They isolated themselves. Because they had messed up. And now sinned. For the first time ever. They felt shame. They didn't even know what to call it. It was the natural response. To getting out of order. When there was perfect order. And it's still the same thing today. Whenever we get out of alignment with the will of God and we've messed up in this covenant, shame comes on us. And the first thing the enemy tries to get us to do is not have communion with God anymore. And when the Lord comes for communion on a Sunday, he's like, hey, where you at? I'm afraid if I walk in, God, they're going to judge me. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many silly things. And you know, this is gonna sound insensitive, but know my heart when I tell you this tonight. It really does not matter what people's judgment is of you, it does not matter what they think of you. They don't have the power to forgive your sin. And most of the time, their reaction to you is because they're living in shame themselves. So if they can't forgive themselves, how in the world are they gonna forgive your sin? I'm trying to get there. I really am. So understand, Pastor, when I tell you tonight, I understand this concept of the Scripture, the passage, that there was some kind of a fundamental flaw in the first covenant. But the covenant was never the problem. So the Lord said, I had Moses as a mediator. You can go back and read this in Jeremiah. Now, we're seeing the fulfillment of this in the book of Hebrews, so just stay with it. He said, we had Moses as the mediator. But now we've got some things established on a much better promise that if the first covenant had been faultless and there had been no, uh, he wouldn't have sought after the second. For finding fault with them. Verse number 8. Now I'm going to do a quick work right here just for the sake of Bible study, okay? I'm going to do a quick, quick work. Brother Tyler, if you'll just flash for me real quick again, Jeremiah 31, 31. We're just going to do a little... Quick cross reference right here. Okay. Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay. Now go back to that verse in Hebrews. Are y'all seeing the difference in the Jeremiah text and the Hebrew text? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. It's verbatim from Jeremiah. But what's the problem? Or finding fault with them. This is, just, this is just my reasoning. Don't you think if it was the covenant that he was talking about finding fault with he would have said finding fault with it? Am I making any sense? Finding fault with it then he said okay well there's a problem with the covenant so I'm just going to make a new one let me break this down as smoothly as I can as gently as I can I want this to drip from my tongue like honey from a comb and to seal your ears and hearts listen to what pastor's telling you he's been pursuing you since before you were ever born He tried everything there was to use man to fix the problem but man was the problem. And finding fault with with them. I'm going to establish my word now that I said would come to pass. Because the problem has never been my love for men, the problem has always been whether or not they loved me. And they went a-whoring after other gods. How many times? I mean, it's the, it, the scriptures replete with it from cover to cover. And they forsook the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And went a-whoring after other gods. And they forsook their God. And they went after the gods of Baal. And now the Lord's asking them, just live for me. But no, we're going to go over here to a God that says, put your children in the, in the hands of Moloch and let it roll down into his burning stomach. Have you ever thought of Man. I wish I could really do this justice tonight. Have you ever thought about the nature of idolatry and how goofy it is? We walk away from God because it costs too much. Only to go to something else that costs more than we ever dreamed we'd pay. God expects too much of me. He expects me to walk in covenant with him. What a loser. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Who are you to tell me what to do? And then you walk over here to Molech and his belly's on fire. His hands are out like this. He's dumb. He don't say a word at all. And people are just laying their babies in his hand. They're rolling down into his stomach. And in 2020, people look at children of God and say, That is crazy for you to live for God like that. But then they'll look at their sexual partner and say, you know what? I don't really want the responsibility of raising this baby, so let's just get rid of it. And nobody thinks it's weird. Because sin never looks weird when you've been under a delusion. It's a wild ride. When you realize that God has never been imperfect. He's never had a problem keeping his word. I can stand before you tonight and boldly and emphatically declare to you. He has never failed me. Ever. It would be embarrassing if I stood here tonight and started trying to count the many times that I failed God. (laughs) I'm talking about simple things. Just get up in the morning. Instead of giving God my first, right. I find something else to just, right. I'm just going to, I need just three minutes real quick, and then I'm going to go pray. And that three minutes turns into 30 minutes. Come on, somebody. And then we lay down Nice night. Man, I don't have time to pray like I should. Get on that iPhone. Go into your settings. Go, to, go, go, go down there and look and see how much time have you spent on it today. And then lay down at night and say, sorry, God, I didn't have time to pray today. I'll do better tomorrow. You know what just happened? I failed him. But do you know what this new covenant does? When I lay down, instead of him damning me because I made a mistake, he puts his hand over my home and my family and my children. He says, I'm going to let you lay down in peace tonight. I'm going to let you rest because I thought enough of you to fill you with my spirit. And so... The power of this is not trampling on the grace of God. Please don't run off of that. Misconstrue what I'm saying. But the power of this is that you can't fail God so badly that he gives up on you. That's the whole reason he came. Because he would try to do it this way and men would fail on that. So he said, look, the only way I can fix this is to do this myself. The only way. That I can fix this is to quit counting on priests and become a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, another whole Bible study. He said, "I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant." Verse. I'm. I'm in verse number nine with the Tyler. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Listen to this right here. When you read this in context, this does not have anything to do with what God supposedly abolishes. People run with this like crazy. Well, see right there in Hebrews 8, God abolished his law and He brought us in under grace. There are some differences to living under the law and living under grace. And that is if you lived under the law and you committed adultery. You were stoned. And now you're stoned and then commit adultery. Uh, did, I, did I just say that? Now people get stoned and commit their sin. Some of you will get that in a little bit. No, the truth is now. Now, now I'm, I'm fixing to mess with some people right here. Because we've misconstrued the grace of God. And people say, well, you're you're talking about under the law. No, no, listen to this. When grace came walking among us, this is what grace said. Grace said, the law has said that if a man lay with a woman, commit adultery with her, that he's be stoned. He said, but I say unto you that if a man looks on a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he hath already committed adultery with her. Which one's harder? You know what the work of grace is? The work of grace is called temptation. Because temptation is your window that lets you see it. If I do that, that's the result. That's how temptation works. And you lay yourself down, let the devil beat you to death because you were tempted. Quit! We've all been tempted. The Messiah was tempted. In every manner, like as we. And then comes the conjunction that none of us like. Yet! Come on, somebody preach it to me. Pastor, the temptation is so great. How many of you have ever heard people quote the scripture that's not in the Bible? God will never put more on you than you can bear. You know, preacher, that Bible says he'll never put more on you than you can bear. You know what the closest scripture to that is? That's not in the scripture, but the closest one to it is dealing with temptation. And he says, You will never be tempted above that which you are able. Because where there is temptation, it lit, the, the scripture literally says, God will make a way of escape. He will make a way of escape. It is possible to live tempted and be saved. And that's grace. You're, you're never going to live your life at all without temptation. But you can live your life whole unto God. But if you make a mistake... That's what this new covenant's about. And I'm thankful for the new covenant. Let's look at this right here in verse 10. I'm hurrying. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Where was the covenant written at Sinai? Somebody talk to me. The finger of God came down and wrote on what? On tablets of stone. So what's the new covenant? And this is so awesome. I love this. He said, I'm going to put my laws. Now, did I miss something in verse 9? Does verse 9 say, I'm going to get rid of my laws? And then... Okay, maybe... I, let me, let's read verse 10 again here. Let's see what this says. He says, the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to take my laws. And I'm going to put it in their mind. But I'm not satisfied with head knowledge. He said, I'm going to... Write them. Folks, I wish I could draw you a physical picture of this language right here. I'm going to write in their heart. This is a picture of Sinai, the finger of God. Pastor, my heart is just so hard. You do understand the first time he wrote that, it was on stone. So don't think your stony heart is too hard for God to be able to do something with I'm a hard-hearted man. Oh, but you don't know about this covenant, baby. He can take that hand and he can massage that heart even if it's broken and fractured in a million pieces. you know what will heal a broken heart? The word of God will heal a broken heart. He'll put his law in you. Man, I wish I could preach that to you on a Wednesday night. This language, I, I don't want to major in the minors. I'm quickly coming to a close. I don't want to major in the minors. The Old Testament, he says, they shall be my people and I shall be their God, right? right? So for the sake of time, I'm hurrying through this. I shall be their God. They shall be my people. Look right here. I love this language. And I shall be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. There is such action in this Hebrew writing. Such, such action. It's not just that I am God, and I'm here, and I exist, and you're humanity, and you're there, and you exist. He said, I am constantly being your God. Whatever you need me to be, take me back to that bush. I am. I am. I never stop being your God. Who should I tell them, send me? You tell them, I am, send me. What what do you mean, I am? It means, I am God to be a God to you. I'm always a God to you. I never stop being a God to you. When you're lonely on the backside of a desert and you don't think I'm anywhere around, I'll show up in a burning bush and the bush will not be consumed. I will always be a God to you. I'll be a God to you when you lost your father. I'll be a God to you when you've lost your mother. I'll be a God to you when life has been unfair. I'll be a God to you when you've lost your job and when you've got a great job because I'm not just a God of the mountain. I'm the God of the valley. I'm the God of the desert and I'm the God of the green pasture. I shall be a God to them. I shall be a God to them. I'll never stop being God to them and I'm asking them don't you ever stop being my people. So let me just tell you the lie the devil told you. That you messed up and you fail, And God's through with you. And he's done with you. And he's washed his hands of you. God said I'll never stop being a God to you. But you'll never stop being a people to me. You will never stop being my children. You, you may scratch your knee. Is there a father in the house tonight that when your baby fell and scratched her little leg or scratched her little knee that you picked her up and said, get out of here. You made a mistake. You don't deserve to be my daughter anymore. I think not because any father or mother that's worth their salt will reach down with that hand and say, baby, I'm so sorry that you have fallen, but let me help you get up. And if you can't walk on your own, daddy will carry you. I'll take you where you need to go to get you healed. Mm. I'm trying, I'm I'm trying I'm I'm just about done They shall not teach every man his neighbor And every man his brother Saying know the Lord Oh man If only I could just break this down He said you're not going to find out From your brother anymore about me He said, but all shall know me. And I can't tell you how glad I am about the last part of this sentence. Because he didn't leave me out. You don't have to be a king to know me. You don't have to rule nations to know me. You don't have to have a pedigree to know me. He said that all shall know me from the least. the greatest for I will be merciful oh Jesus I'm telling you I feel the Holy Ghost when I read this I will be merciful to their unrighteous somebody needs to hear what I'm teaching you tonight and their sins and their iniquities I will remember, you need to quit reminding God how terrible you've been. And just start telling God how good He is. (laughs) I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve your kindness. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. He knows that. The reason he came is because the first covenant was full of people that didn't deserve it. They messed up all the time. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my law in your hearts. I'm going to cover you and I'm going to love you from the least to the greatest. And whenever you fall and you do unrighteously and there's iniquity in your life, I'm going to show you mercy. If you're sucking oxygen down your throat tonight and through your nostrils I want to tell you something. You are a byproduct of the mercy of God. Let's go to that last verse, brother. In that he saith, a new covenant. He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. I am so very thankful tonight that the Lord did not decide to abolish his law, but rather to fulfill. Is that not a powerful word? To fulfill? Oh, yes. For what the blood of rams and goats and bullocks could not do. The blood of one man has washed us and cleansed us from all, somebody say all, All. from all our sin. I'm glad to tell you tonight, FPC. I'm glad to tell you tonight, guests. I'm glad to tell you tonight, watching online. That the enemy has told you over and over and over, you're not worthy. You don't deserve God. You don't need to go to church. That's not you. No, no, no. You need, to, you need to find somewhere else and go. You need to go do your thing. Hey, let me tell you something tonight. We've got a perfect covenant with a perfect father. That robed himself in flesh. Paid the price for us. We don't have to live in shame anymore. Nobody's perfect. I wish we were. I mean, it'd be kind of neat to pastor a perfect church. I said, for a long time, Brother Mike, pastor would be easy if it wasn't for people. But people make mistakes. And you can't throw in the towel on good people because they made a big boo-boo. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight if you would. I'm going to give you the shortcut version right here. And I'm, I'm closing. I've been teaching for a long time. I know that. Do You know what Hebrews 8 is? The summation of this. Here it is. It's a work of the spirit. To take a law of God. The law of God. And to put it into the hearts of men. How does that happen? Because it is the spirit of truth. When it has come. That will lead and guide you into all truth. The only way to fully understand what the writer to the Hebrews was saying here is by the power of the Holy Ghost. He does not inscribe his word in the walls of hearts that are impure and unclean. But rather in a place where his glory can dwell, his spirit can dwell on man to live within us. Do you realize how blessed we are? That when we repent of our sins and we raise our hands, some people look at it and say, Man, tongue talkers are crazy. You don't understand. When I begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, do you know what that's a sign of? It's a sign of all of those things that I really wasn't sure how I was ever going to get lined up and get perfect. It's a sign of that law being written. The walls of my heart and it begins to come out because the scripture itself said that it is the spirit that gives. Y'all preach so good. Me speaking other tongues is the sign that that law has come within me. And the next time I go to do something foolish after I've got the Holy Ghost, I feel that little jerk back. "Eh." Don't do it. Well, is that written in black and white and chapter and verse? Uh, It's on your heart. That's why the Spirit's checking you. Stop. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. Bridle your tongue right now. You're going to regret it. How many of you have fought that one? Don't say it. And you do, and you're like, oh, no. But thank God for mercy. Mercy. Thank God next time you get in your car, you won't be that mad. They see your little Jesus fish, and then you give them sign language. No, no. I don't know. I don't know what to think about sin, because it's a mess. It's got our world in a mess. But here's what I want you to know as you leave tonight. Darkness has never stopped his light. Sin has never stopped his His mercy and His goodness. So when you leave this house tonight, just know this. You're never going to be perfect enough to deserve God. But His perfect love is willing to fill you, your heart, your soul, your mind. And you've never known Him like you know Him when you get the Holy Ghost. Ever. You may have heard about Him all your life. But when you begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, that's when you realize for the first time, I've heard pastor tell me about him. I've heard someone teach me a Bible study and tell me about him. But this language that's coming out of me right now says I know him for myself. Let's give him thanks tonight.